Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, Leinster racked up their eighth win in ten against Munster at the weekend. And it never really looked like it was in any doubt once they took the lead shortly before half time, certainly. Um, where to start? I thought it was very similar to how the game played out in terms of the times that things happened. It was very similar to... Uh, the Leinster Saracens final. In that, in that game, Saracens got a score right on half time. In this game, Leinster got a score on half time. In this game, Leinster scored, I think, about 54, 55 minutes in through Cronin. He was a bit, little bit later for the Saracens. But after that, it had established a, uh, a 10 point margin. And for the remainder of the game, there was the sight of uh, one team holding the other team at arm's length, I felt. I thought we were going to talk about Game of Thrones. So <laughs> we've already talked about loads about that. Uh, yes, the, I, I said a few weeks ago that I thought Munster had improved. I don't think that anymore. Based on, it's not it's not much off. I think that it was a better it was a better regular season for Munster. I think the kind of the I don't know the fullness of the squad, but like they were in the same stage last year. They were in mm. the semi final. Uh, where there wasn't much in it, where they might have beat Leinster in the RDS. Um, Munster put a huge emphasis on their scrum, really put Leinster under pressure. And with Zebo and Earls, they had a real threat out wide that might have scored late. And I think it was Nigel Owens ref in that match as well, the semi-final. It's a long time ago, I, I, I can't remember. But um, there, there was more threat to Munster winning last year than I felt this year. I think that Munster this year, I have found them boring to watch a lot. I found them that a team that really plays to a pattern above and beyond anything else rather than like posing a significant threat. I think that the threat's being provided out wide because there's, you know, there's very good runners, in particular Earls and Conway, uh, but also, you know, Sweetnam's a pretty good runner. Yeah. Um, Farrell's a threat. And thought his first yeah, half there's, very impressive. You know, there's there's sort of powerful runners inside. So there's but it's a team that's been very intent on playing to a pattern. And I think that it's it's like Felix Jones is gone now, and it, it's probably one of the reasons I think that the mo the, the Munster coaching setup is 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 probably I find it interesting at the moment. Yeah. Uh, what I find interesting is the way that Larkham's name was floated in, in an Irish Independent article, and I was thinking to myself, "Where did this come from?" So there's like Stephen Larkham, who is has a stand in Canberra in the Brumbies ground named after him. Like he is, he is one alongside Gregan. He is one of the most two most famous Brumbies. Maybe Owen Finnegan, the third most famous, George Smith, who retired today. George Smith. We're tar- not today, when the day this was recorded. Um, and then 
So obviously he knows Nusa Ford. So Nusa Ford coached the Brumbies. And he's sort of gone, so who's, who's making the appointments at the provinces? Because like, mm. that should be the chief exec's job. I would have thought, now maybe maybe it isn't anymore. Like maybe Nusa Ford just does everything in pro rugby. And he we sort never of knew, know. He, he kind of knew, oh, Larkham's available. I'm going to get him in. <laughs> Certainly um, the guy who used to coach Munster, who had the beard, his name, the forwards coach, Coach Gloucester. Larry Maines. Larry Maines. No. No, Larry Fisher. Fisher. Talked about the, talked about actually Paul O'Connell, George Smith, and Stephen Larkham as the three best players. And he goes, they bring different things. Like uh, Paul O'Connell brings an incredible spirit to the team. Like he's so competitive. He makes everyone better because he makes them all more competitive. He says, George Smith was so good at going off and working on different things during the off season. And if the laws tweaked a bit or if the game was refereed in a certain way or if certain trends were more dominant, like George Smith would be on it. He'd be ahead of it. He'd be ahead of it. He'd sort of, he'd figure things out and he'd do it season after season after season. And he goes like, he could play across the back row. Like he he could do everything. He Mm -hmm. was, he was just such a brilliant rugby player. And he goes, Stephen Larkham made you think that you were a really good coach because everything just flowed when everything everything worked like it was meant yeah. to work. So Larkham, World Cup winner and a former Wallaby coach. So I, look, if Nusifor is making these decisions, they're not bad decisions. Like Robin McBride is going to rock up to Leinster next season. I think that's a great deal for Leinster. I don't think that was Nusifor at all. Maybe it wasn't, but I still think it's a great. Deal. I think it's something that Irish clubs are doing really well. Is they're they're getting good coaches. Yeah, it's never money. It's never money badly spent. Money spent on a good coach is a great investment. So we'll see how that pans out. Anyway, um, I I thought that I I agree with you in terms of there's a predictability to how Munster play, and just by adding Carberry, that that can't offset it. You you can't have your you can't have your general on the field not being part of a pattern. Uh, I thought he was good. I was impressed by Carberry. Um, uh, he got he got some huge hits dealt out to him, both in possession and out of possession. And um, you know, I think he's. I think he was sort of. I'd have no no complaints about how he played if I was a monster fan. Um, and I thought that. Uh, it's difficult to say who it, he probably edged the matchup with Ross Byrne, but I mean edged it in that it was it was very close between them. It's just that the fact that he offers a much greater running threat should it does make defenses a little bit more wary of him and more standoffish. Well, with that said, he did get fucking mullered a couple of times. I was very impressed by how. <clears throat> We had a, a different vantage point than we usually do in the RDS, and we were sitting very low down to the to the pitch. Uh, and in particular, in the first half, we saw just how close Joey Carberry takes it to the line. And the other thing that really stood out to me was how Chris Farrell never ever passes. Uh, he's a really impressive ball carrier, as is Joey Carberry, but uh, Farrell never passes. There's sort of, I guess, it, it it sort of chimes back in with what you were saying about them being a bit predictable. Mm. And then at the at the same end. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed in Ross Byrne. I th- I, we were having the discussion before recording about who's Leinster's most improved player. And then 
acknowledging the fact that they won the double. So it's not like guys were underperforming last season. So it's a very narrow field, especially Noel Reed or, or Ross Byrne. So Ross Byrne didn't win it. <laughs> of all of the two players that improved, you were the worst. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I just felt he sort of reverted to some of his sloppier habits. I felt that he ran across the pitch, whereas in in the second half of the season in particular, he'd he challenged the line much more. And mm. he, he talked about it in a recent interview, uh, referring to the impact that Felipe Contaponi had had as, as Leinster's backs coach, and particularly as, a, as an out-half, as a former out-half, and having had the respect from having played in the province for so long. Um, but at the same stage, I was thinking, he's left in a very good nick for Sexton coming on. And probably the biggest... So he had this strange... Like, Leinster didn't put Munster, I felt, under any pressure in the first half. No, and I thought yet, Leinster looked quite tired and as well. Managed to, the first and yet half. somehow managed to pick off these scores and Ross Burns' excellent place kicking is part of that. Mm. Um, and then when Sexton came on, Leinster just kept the ball. Yeah. Just like, and as soon as Sexton is on, the camera focuses in on him and he's just like, there's a break in play, they're preparing for a line out and Sexton is just telling everybody what to do. Like he's just <laughs> running the entire show and just giving out to everybody, and you're there going, "Ah, oh, he's deadly." Can you imagine playing against that fecker? Like he's 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 doing everybody's thinking for them. Um, it's it's incredible because I mean we were talking about this directly after the match, like the the biases that you have from whatever perspective that you're watching it, and I was quite critical of of Larmer mm-hmm. now. Appreciate like the sun, like Larmer's running is like it's incredible. You can't you can't coach that stuff. You can't teach it. No. But I felt that you know he put a he put a pass ahead of Cronin. The Cronin wasn't really expecting. You kind of go, ooh, maybe a share of the blame here. But that pass was right in front of us. It was awful. It was to nobody, and it was somehow near two people, but neither of them could ever have caught. You it. know, like that was yeah. that was that was fifty meters. You know, yeah. Munster kicked it down. Larmer ran it back, did a good job in terms of running back in in the middle of the pitch, identifying the space out on the left-hand side, finding somebody in Crow who had the pace to exploit that, and gave up up 50 metres. And then there was another time where Larmer put in a huge kick that drifted out in touch, and only by a little bit. Because he'd been so close to the touchline, like it was... It was five meters away. Ah, that was that it. was that was hard. Like, there was another one. There was another touch judge. And just on just that point, there was another one in front of us where the touch judge ran past the place that the ball had bounced in touch. So he, which is physical impossibility. Yeah, you know, to give it a was line the really position. really. I think it was Mike Haley. Not, not Scannels, it was Scannels long clearance uh, on the left touch line uh, in the second half. But the, the, the touch judge was really impressed by it. He, he gave him a great kick. He went past where it bounced. But, but, but this isn't really so much about the, the touch judge's decision. It's more about Larmer's decision that you go, ah, if you do that same contact and keep the ball in the five and the 15, like there's no one home for a monster. I, I, do you know what I mean? So like they're, they're turning around. And I'm just sort of thinking to myself, um, I, I, I ask, what would Alex Good do in that situation? For, like just because Steve, he'd be Steve, Steve, he'd be absolutely hammered. He'd probably <laughs> miss the ball. Um, and I think on the uh, on like the touch judge, it's sort of like Conor Murray is so frequently close to where the ball goes out. But Conor Murray runs up and it sort of gives a mark to the touch judge, <laughs> like he marks it for the touch judge. I'm famous. 
within here <laughs> within sort of a five meter he's kind of going i want a five meter closer to their line or like five meters further away from our line so he, he makes a mark for the touch judge and the touch judge frequently sort of goes towards going i'm already standing there yeah i think i'll run up to him Maybe and you can get a selfie it's a bit like it's a it's a bit like sexton where you go jesus like the guy is bossing the game You're constantly stealing yards at penos like a boss but he just just constantly bossing and, and stealing the game and it's so I felt Larmer. I'm still. Not I thought convinced. Larmer played. I thought Larmer had still not convinced. Was played well. Back. Yeah, I was. I was, uh, I was happy with his play. Um, but then you see all the running that he does, and you go, "Oh, it's too easy to take that stuff for granted." Yeah. Also, his positioning in the backfield was much better this time. He didn't misjudge any ball flights, which I know is isn't like that should be a given. But it hasn't always been, so it means he's improving in that regard. Uh, I felt his opposite number had a very competent game. Haley, who uh, is gets gets a hard time because he's not Simon Zebo, but he's signed to play fullback as best he can. And I felt that that was a really a short performance. I, I don't think that he he had. Uh, I don't think he was a weakness for Munster. Um, he's not. He, do, he doesn't have the same attacking capabilities as Zebo had, but. He's a really competent player, and I feel sometimes uh, he's played an awful lot of games for Munster for this season. And I feel sometimes he's been signaled out for not being somebody else, which is f- just a nonsense. Yeah, it's, it's unfair. I think it doesn't make any sense. I think oftentimes the goalkeeperliness of the fullback gets um, overlooked. Overlooked uh, in Ireland, particularly. I think maybe we all want our fullback to be. Uh, the guy who dashes through the line in a bit of a surprise and cuts everything open, but um, their number one jobs are catching the ball, mm. kicking the ball, making the last tackle. Those are always going to be their number one jobs. He made a couple of good tackles. Yeah, uh, Haley, he really did. He made a good one on. I, I think it was no, it was Ringrose. Um, How did but, you feel that Ringrose played overall? Actually, I thought. Uh, I thought sort of like a really tasty cured egg. You know, he made a couple of mistakes, but other, other than that, I thought he was was very impressive. Does a lot of things well, does a ringer. Likewise, um, he's made more mistakes in recent weeks. Because mm. um, sometimes, like sometimes during the season, he plays essentially like more or less flawless games. He doesn't make any mistakes. Uh, whereas in a couple of these, he's made. He's made mistakes here and there. And like, there, he got his kick blocked down again, which is becoming a bit of a team. <laughs> is there any sense that he's he's making more mistakes because he's making he's taking more uh, decision making responsibility for the team, or am I? That, no, I think that's that's reasonable. Uh, trying to do, he's trying more, to do more. I'd say do more. Yeah, like yeah. Really, I mean, his kick used to be a bit more of a surprise. And now it's a surprise if it doesn't get blocked down. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's he's. He's trying to. He's definitely trying to give a, another option uh, to Sexton. I think basically outside him as a as a sort of some quasi playmaker, not a proper playmaker, but like I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a good point. Uh, he does get on the ball more as as a first receiver, and and uh, he is more a, a, a kicking option. Like he and he's generally, I'm surprised he gets blocked down as often as he does because he's been a kicker since he was a. A schoolboy, you know, uh, both place kicker and a you know a kicking option. For yeah, it's not, it's not a work on for him. Yeah, 
Um, but the, I thought Henshaw, funny enough for me, I thought Henshaw had one of his quietest games for Leinster in, uh, that I've ever seen him have. I, I felt he came off early for a ding-dong test. and I, To me, I I just felt that even before that, though, he, he just looked tired. I think that he mm. probably had to do an awful lot of tackling against Saracens, tackling on particularly big men. He's a big man in his own right, but, you know, he was giving away five and six stone to their number eight in their second row. As you can, I felt that he's still, he had one nice break, uh, but I, I expected more of him. One man who produced more than was expected was Josh Vanderfleer, mm. who was an absolute bundle of energy. Amazing um, performance. Absolutely superb performance. And it was great to see because I think Josh is one of those, um, Josh always has a lot of, oh man, what's the way to phrase this, involvements in the game, but they're not all huge contributions. Mm. It's a lot of sort of fives and sixes rather than the big plays, you know, the nines and the tens, big plays. Um, but he he was excellent. I don't like think... He, he he was miles better than Sean O'Brien has been in oh, any two, of the... Two years. It made, yeah. Leo's, it made Leo's decision very, very easy. Like, Leo's soldier with Sean O'Brien for a long time and it would, you know, knowing that it's Sean O'Brien's, the final is going to be his last game for Leinster... Um, there would have been a real temptation to see if he could go to the well once more mm. and start him. But Josh van der Fleer, I think, has totally taken that out of Leo's hands. Uh, and I think it's the right decision if you start Josh. I've never seen in my entire life watching rugby, I don't think I've ever seen a fitter player than van der Fleer. I, I, when I went to rewatch it, you know, he's very easy on a rewatch because of the redhead guard, but his quickness off the ground after making a tackle, his quickness to get back in position when the whistle goes. He doesn't, like if the whistle goes, when he was bundled into touch, he was running back to get to get on the 22. He knew, he knew where he'd gone into touch. He wasn't, he wasn't shouting the odds or anything like that. Uh, when penalties are there, if it's errors, he's to the ball. If it's errors, he's back 10. Quickly. Um, his, his tackle count is generally outstanding he's a very very able technical tackler but it's that combined with his um how quickly he got back from this from this injury you know four or five weeks ahead of schedule uh i think it really marked out as sort of well the future is not as bleak as we thought it was you know with levy being goosed sean o'brien you know form is has been a shadow of what it previously was. Um, thinking more in terms of in and more in terms of Ireland than uh, Leinster. Than Leinster. Another remarkable thing also about uh, Josh Vanderfleer. Not only the re- that recovery from that injury, but this is also actually the season after he did a cruciate injury. Oh, absolutely! Which is usually an, a kind of a, a shadow season before while the while the yeah, player you have a new knee. while the player comes to gets to trust their their new knee and he's just been you 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 completely forget that yeah he's starting to forget that he so well yeah. beat the all blacks yeah and you were making the point he didn't start against new zealand in uh, chicago but he played most of the match so yeah. he's, he's played he's beaten the all blacks twice yeah playing most of the match at open side which 
is something they've been, that they've been pretty good something there. That, like, something that very few people can can uh, can claim. And another, uh, the back row was an interesting one yeah. because I felt that they, I felt that Monster made a poor selection. I was pretty confident that they would start Chris Cluta at seven, and to not see him in the team at all seems strange to me. Uh, Chris Cluta has been very good in recent seasons. Yeah, he gives any he he's gives a monster huge tread over the ball. Yeah. And he gives against, Munster a, a dynamism in the back row that Arno both have played very well in Edinburgh, and he like he's, yeah. played, he's played well in in other matches. Um, but it's it's not a good balance when you've got CJ at open side and Pete Omani and Arno both. Uh, you, you know when you see Van der Fleer play and you go, oh shit, like one team is missing at open side. Yeah, but I, I was surprised. I thought that Arno both had played really well. Throughout the season for Monster, I thought he'd been pretty, pretty much an inspired signing because this is a guy who Ulster wouldn't give a contract to because he failed his medical. And uh, you know I, that that season could have just gone up in smoke like one of Kutsia's had. Uh, but he'd played an awful lot of games. He'd been really good, and then in this game, he was he was blown away by Conan, absolutely blown away. He was. Really, very Conan's quiet. another competitor for Leinster's most important oh, player. That's a good point. Still no, no, rude, but he's... It is, like, he is, he's he's a guy that has done exactly what you would have wanted him to do. Yeah. Um, guy who's an international contender. Uh, I'm trying to remember the, the, the circumstance of his selection for Australia. I think he was he was in the panel, wasn't he? Like he was in the touring squad originally. He wasn't a late. He wasn't no, he's always there. Yeah. yeah, he was always there. Um, and it's something that Schmidt has given guys opportunities. Maybe not. You know, like Schmidt still likes his first fifteen guys. Um, but Conan came back from that tour and has done very well this oh, season. He's been excellent, absolutely well. excellent. Not a super performance, and because we mentioned on the last week's podcast that obviously he was overshadowed by uh, Billy Vanapola. But that's understandable. Um, and he still had a good game in his own right, which, you know, happens in rugby. Sometimes you can get outplayed but still play well. In this game, um, I didn't think that Arno Bota played well when he was outplayed. I felt that I couldn't remember him having a more anonymous performance for Munster this season. Now, that is what it is. Um, st- standards full of... like. Full of chat, full of energy as ever. Uh, not an open side by any stretch of the imagination. Shouldn't shouldn't wear the seven jersey ever. No, I mean if he he left South Africa and he's an Irishman now, so you wear seven in South Africa, you're playing blindside. Yeah, he's he's a blindside or a number eight. He's yeah. absolutely not an open side flanker. I don't think. And I felt I, I felt I that Peter Mahoney's much more of an open side flanker than much more. Than, than CJ is. Yeah. It, made, it was a very strange selection to me. Yeah. You said to me on the way to the game that you thought they might be trying to do, uh, play Saracen's tactics against us. And, yeah. And I just said to you, I said, if they try that, they'll lose because they yeah. don't have. Billy Van Apollo. But they don't have the power that Saracen's no, that's, have. That's what happened. So no, I, I felt, those resources. You know, and that they, they picked this, they picked their biggest and strongest back row. Like they're, Jan Klein is a big, strong man as well. He's not Will Skelton because nobody is. But he's a big, strong man. 
And Tyke Byrne is a, like a really good player. So the, that Munster pack is, it was just missed, it was misselected and misdirected. Um, but Leinster's, Leinster's back row, because they changed two of the back row, obviously Reese Ruddle coming in for Fardy and, and Josh Van der Flair coming in for Sean O'Brien and it felt it brought huge energy to the side. I thought Reese had a very, very good game with loads and loads of involvements. Yeah, I was, I was glad to see Reese because Reese got perped. He got sat down by CJ early, early yeah. in the match and within the same, like within, within five seconds, he had regathered himself, take, took a huge run at the rook, yeah. blast, like blasted CJ Edwards and then dragged him along the ground with his hand. Now, like, I mean, it was kind of, it was sort of after the fact, but it was important to do it because he made CJ aware that, okay, you got me, but like, I'm not going away here. Yeah. Like this, this isn't over. Yeah. You know, like you won, but you won like 2-1, not, you know, rat, well, not, just, not, not 3 nil. You, you won know, the round. Was, you won you know, the round, you know. Um, so that was, that was an important point. I felt that Munster had much more focus and concentration. And I think with your coaching staff leaving, uh, or two or three coaching staff leaving, like it's completely understandable that like uh, Jones and uh, Flannery wouldn't have the same focus. I think, I think as well that it's a bit of a um, when the guys get appointed, it looks like a dream appointment. But then when you think of it in terms of career, because and the comparison I make is, is Ronan Agara. Like Ronan Agara never went near Munster. Ronan Agara went to Racing. So anything for for the lads is a, is a bit of a disappointing move. Like I think they'll both pick up jobs, mm. and I think they they'll both be in the on the coaching circuit for for years and years and years. Now, like Jerry Flannery is very good uh, broadcaster, so maybe he'll choose to go down the media. But I I think it's I think it's too early in his coaching career to do that. Um, but I do go back to that semi final, and the focus that he brought to that monster scrum, and I go like he'll he do a serious job as a forwards coach somewhere because you sort of need to take the knocks and you need to see it different ways and you need to take things from different culture. But to go back to Raj, like Raj got appointed now. Has he been appointed as La Rochelle? I thought it was a done deal, but maybe it's it's just been sort of strongly rumored and, and not yet. Oh, I think inked. it's going to happen. Um, I don't know if it's been. And you look at what sort of Raj's coaching because Sexton talked about it in his interview again in recent weeks and you know, if you go if you go down the coaching path you have to move and like that the senior players now have that realization that like there's no way you're going in to your home province and and that's going to be your gig like Leo Cullen is probably the last of of the breed um and Leo's almost happened by accident because Matt O'Connor was yeah. so bad because Muldoon moved oh yeah 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 um, and you look and you look at Raj and you go, God, like you, you, Raj, in hindsight, like just couldn't have put a f like he couldn't have done it better. Like he just didn't put a foot wrong. He went to a really strong club with shitloads of money in France, and with Dan Carter, mm. and and then he went to. He's going to be working with incredible players. He's going to be working with incredible players and learned his trade. Got a good CV. Then moved on before it got stale. Got good. Uh, like social media, like played it like a boss, and oh. then went down to Crusaders while his stock was rising. Again, like you go to like the most successful club over the last decade and a half in the Southern Hemisphere, with an incredible culture, played it like a boss, and then left there. And 
is now in a massive money job in France, uh, like for rugby, yeah. and you go, but you're like, now he's on the roundabout. Now, like, he's he's going to be a guy who can coach a big club. He's he's sort of proven commodity, like, that he's going to be on. I, I don't know what head coaches get, but yeah. he, there's there's another few of these gigs in Raj. If it, and that's if it doesn't work out. Like, if it yeah. does work out, he'll coach Ireland. I think he's going to be, I'd be surprised if he is. Well, he's tied up with La Rochelle now. But I see Raj as a coach of Ireland. He's such a bright guy. Um, and his 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 media uh, jobs in Ireland, he's handled them so well. Like Conor the, O'Shea. Yeah. Everyone who, like a lot of people, like the, the difference between RT uh, when they had Hook and, and Pope and then when, Conor O'Shea was on. I was like, geez, I just want to listen to this guy and turn those other two lads off. And I like Popey. But uh, when Raj is on, you just want to listen to Raj all the time. Yeah, Raj has Raj struck a balance that uh, <clears throat> I think the the, the the football guys in RT kind of wish they had, where it's like a combination of the sort of um, football man expertise of John Giles and the... Uh, straight talking slightly controversial of Eamon Dunphy but like Dunphy's kind of full of shit and Charles says the same thing all, this, all the time and whenever Raj says something about fo- about rugby it's there's no joke there's no banter it's just like um, no I think that's terrible or I think that's good or this, yeah. it's, it's just he like doesn't, well, he doesn't you just want to hear what he says he doesn't seem to say things for controversy sake no ever. and like an awful lot of the time when he was speaking about Ireland you know not a good Six Nations he was saying well it's difficult you know, it's just difficult to do this. It's easy to say you should do it another way. It's very difficult to actually do it. Um, so, yeah, so he's going to uh, to La Rochelle, yeah. allegedly. So, like, and I'm, I'm, I'm using his example in contrast to Felix and Jerry, because I'd say, like, if... I don't know why Jerry Flannery's left. If, if any, if you couldn't have thought of a better job for the two lads, and then with a bit of high, with a bit of perspective, you go, ah, oh, like anything else is going to be such a wrench. Do you know what I mean? Anything else is going to be just a job, whereas like it's, it's kind of like you coach Munster for free. If like if, if that's your yeah, background, yeah. of playing and okay, Felix Jones is like a C point guy, but like Jerry Flannery grew up in Limerick. Like Jerry Flannery would probably still be playing for Shannon. Like being rolled out now if he hadn't been a pro rugby player. Yeah. Um, but we were saying the same thing uh, on the way to the match. We were talking about Frank Lampard and Derby County. And Lampard's in a position where, you know, people are already talking about him managing Chelsea. Um, Lampard's in a position where he's wealthy enough that he can pass up the dream job with a massive salary. Yeah. If he chooses to, because he might think, oh, I actually don't have... I don't have the resources myself. And I mean, it's coaching resources to do this job that I'd love to do, but it's not the right time for me now. It'll come back around to me, which yeah. is which is what Raj can afford to do with with the other, like rugby, rugby players in general can't afford to do it. There's one in, you know, there's five in history who have, who have accumulated probably enough money to be able to pass up a lucrative job that they want to do because it might arrive for them too early. Um, so I, I, I don't know why um, Flannery is, is left. It's, it's, it's really... Yeah, it's odd. It's an unknowable. I think the, the Munster pack are good. They're well coached. He's behind that. Yeah. Um, their scrum is good. Their line is good. Maul isn't probably as good as he used to be, actually, but 
only by you know incrementally yeah, it's really it's really competent pack yeah I, I mean in particular i think um john ryan has come on but also stephen archer has come on to being from from being yeah a he, he those guys came through neither of those players were maybe archer was an under irish under 20 i can't remember Kilcoyne wasn't and, and John Ryan wasn't to the best of my knowledge. They came through later in their careers. Now Flannery was playing with them. He didn't wasn't coaching them while he was a player, but uh, this has been Kilcoyne's best season by yeah. ever. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and uh, you know he again what he does he does really well. He had a couple of super carries. He's been he's been having that super carrying game all season. Um John Ryan is is just so like the scrums that we were looking at in the first half because as you say we were down lower from both sides they were like the ones that stayed square were just picture perfect mm. so low such good bind such good body positions from both sets of packs like really outstanding scrummaging to see um, I love the guy beside me kept on screaming for the foot up as oh well my, <laughs> he was loving that foot up uh, so you know those. That pack is good. And like Felix has been getting a lot of stick because Monster's attack is blunt. And I, I like Felix, uh, but it has been blunt. They didn't score a try in this game. They didn't score a try against Treviso. Like that's that's not good for two knockout games, not to score tries. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, when, when the people that they've been talking to, Howley was the first one, and apparently Larkham, those are those are backslash attacks coach I, I, the Flannery thing to, is a mystery to me yeah speaking of scoring tries Mr. Blue Sky oh, oh Louie Lowe Mr. Blue Sky just has a star quality that I believe it came to Pony I'm thinking of Ruby Bears uh, Brian O'Driscoll of the guys that I've seen like Peter Romani Paul O'Connell Tau uh, Tau had Tau Tau hat. Yeah, you know, like the, Campo. There, there are a few guys, Campo, you know, but there's um there's a sort of a relation. I suppose Mick Galway had it. Yeah. Um there's a relationship that they have with the crowd that is appropriate for both player and crowd. They're not playing it up. Um and James Lowe is that man for Leinster. Oh, he, absolutely. He is he's just an incredible try scorer. Brilliant tracks. There was a running, it's funny to call it a running battle. Andrew Conway was playing opposite him. And Conway was very, very gobby all match. And was was always like had this big snarl snarl on his face and stalking around the pitch. James Lowe was playing with a smile on his literally for you know 80% of the game, he's smiling at you. Andrew Trimble said it's so discouraging if you're having a pop at somebody he's just smiling back at you go oh take it seriously <laughs> I um, I felt uh, I got the impression and then again this is one of the the benefits of sitting down low at a game because you can never see this on television I just felt throughout the Munster backs in the first half where James Lowe was on our wing I felt that they were so determined to not let him score and I felt with the last play you, of the you, game. You called it actually, yeah. I, with the last play of the game, I was going, oh, just get it to low and let him, just give him a chance to score because he will, because he really wants to wind them up. I think I think after last year's semi-final, whatever level of um, dislike they had for like this sort of blue-eyed boy from Leinster or for Leinster, not from Leinster, 
And then obviously he got sent off then in yeah, Thelma Park. The so yeah. it's like he didn't just he didn't just annoy them by like being good. He annoyed them by being bad as well. So like I do, I think they were they were gunning for him and the fact that he danced around too at the end to score and effectively you know an irrelevant try. But uh, yeah, icing on the cake. Yeah, but psychologically not irrelevant at all. That you know when you when you read about guys and. You kind of think, ah, this is overblown. Like defenses must have must have been worse. And funnily enough, like the guy who's coming to mind for me at the moment is Jimmy Greaves. I'm not a rugby player, but people talk about Greaves and just go, oh, he was just an unbelievable goal scorer. Yeah, and you go, ah, like it couldn't have been Greavesy. Uh, must have played against then, a lot of skull, the Scottish goalkeepers. But then you just just how highly people talk about it, but the way they think, oh, he just had this instinct. Oh, he just had this incredible. And James Lowe. Mm scores a, f- a ferocious amount of tries. Um, and you sort of know he's going to do it. Like even in the Saracens match last year, whenever Leinster got within 10 metres of the line, you're just there going, give it to Low, Just give it to Low, And you sort of, you, you, particularly coming from a background of coaching teams and thinking, oh, there must be like a technical way to break down of, you know, manipulating the defense around. Yeah, so you can... Identifying where certain players are on the pitch. So you can always work, get a two-on-one in space. You know, you, you know, technically... And and then you're sort of going, oh, no, screw it. Just, like, give it to Lowy. Give the ball to Renton. You know, yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, like, that's that's your tactic. It's like, yeah. give it to Lowy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's the finest rugby minds. <laughs> yeah, what more do you want to know? Well, the player he reminds me most of, and the player he... Le- legitimately challenges for uh, my affections of all time favorite players is Simon Gagan, which is saying something because he's just like he does that. I mean, Simon Gagan played in energy. shit teams, but like this guy's playing in a good team. Imagine Simon Gagan if he was playing in a, in a deadly Irish team, just that kind of creative, like just the, the energy refusal to ever stop. Yeah, 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 and the connection with the with with the crowd that yeah. whenever he gets the ball, people get excited. Like yeah. the whole. A frisson goes through the crowd, which words can't do it justice. Because when you're when you're at the game, everyone, do you know who was like that? Everyone gets involved. Zebo in in Zebo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, while we're listing off uh, excellent answer performances, kind of uh, we've skipped over the first try scorer, Sean Cronin, who had another excellent game. Yeah, I thought Cronin had a superb game. You know, for a guy who was who was doubtful to play at all in the Heineken Cup final. I thought he did really well in that. He got, he, I felt he was subbed a little bit early in that game. Uh, and in this game, oh, he fairly blew the doors off. He was once again just superb. Another one of these one-on-ones where, you know, if it's, if it's a final trial, and you go out and it's you're in competition with somebody, Jesus. He he won that one hands down. His carrying uh is it's so effective. Over the course of the season, he's he's banged in 13 tries. Like that's the, the all-time Leinster for the season try score record holders, Felipe Cantuomi with 15. But the next tie slash is is 13. Joining now, helped by Cronin last year, Barry Daly, who's a winger. And Cronin's try scoring ability, his nose for the line. You know, when they were talking about the 
one three two Healy to Furlong to Cronin. There's bar James Lowe, there's nobody else on the team who I'd rather get the ball in that position than Sean Cronin. And I'm not exaggerating. Mm. I would prefer if he got the ball there than Ring Ross. He has such an outstanding turn of pace and such a nose for the line. He's like a Greaves. Sean Cronin. Finishing ability is a thing that is like you know, making sure that no one has the chance to get under you at all. He is so good at that. Yeah. He made a couple. He made another big line break before that as well. Picking lines, that is, it's as difficult a thing as there is in rugby. It's difficult to skill because you have to see it before you can get there. And then you have to have the pace to get there. Uh, and you the guy to, has to give you the ball. And the guy has to give you the ball. It's a, it's a rare talent for anybody. And yeah. uh, and Cronin was, he was lights out at the weekend. Um, so was uh, by the way, so was James Ryan. Obviously, he was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like as, yeah. well, as, as per so, usual, someday long in the future, we're gonna go. Jesus, James Ryan didn't play well, but like that, I haven't. We do a whole podcast yet. about it, like did we did we? against Wales last year. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll wear black armbands. Referee blows for half time. The crowd didn't like that. I was watching Ulster or Ulster visiting Glasgow on Friday evening, and before the commentator on the Premier Sports stream that I was uh, that I had had introduced his co-commentators, uh, Ulster had already conceded their first try, and it didn't get any better from that point A onwards. Dark day. Um, we had described it well. No, in fact, we we hadn't universally described it. I question was it a free hit and I thought was my opinion I think you agreed with me no I agree no you agreed with me and you thought no they had you know Neil Best did not agree with you Neil Best did not agree with me um he said it was a must win and in a must win game if you concede 50 points that's a pretty bad reflection I don't think it was a must win game at all I think away semi-finals in any rugby tournament are extremely difficult and you should never be expecting to win them spot on uh more so when you're playing on literally unfamiliar turf. I think Glasgow's fast-paced game is aided by their artificial pitch. Um, First-generation AstroTurf <laughs> directly from the fucking Houston Superdome or something. I don't know. I was Anytime I see players play there, they come off and they look like they've, been, they've got road rash or something, dragged across the turf on the back of a motorcycle. Like people left, right, and center. Ross Kane went down for one scrum. One scrum came up. Graze is all over his face, just from a collapsed scrum. Uh, Stuart Hogg, you know, after the first tackle he was in, his elbow's completely road rashy. It seems like a hard pitch to play on. So I, I don't know if they don't water it or if they got, as you say, first first generation. Um, <coughs> I, I, away semifinals are hard to win. I think we, we acknowledged that last year, but I do think it was a big match for Ulster. It was an important game to prove that they were legit so even had they been beaten but they had performed well I think it would have been it's a very very disappointing note to go out Dreadful on their note. season because they had a good team out yeah um you, know, you could arguably point I don't know where you go you could you know you could make an argument that oh maybe he might have picked different guys one or two positions maybe like Marty Moore was missing Marty Bush. Moore was missing 
Balakun like, was missing from the selected team. Hendo was playing, Kutia was playing, Bestie was playing, Stockdale was playing. Jordy. Uh, uh, Jordy was playing and McCluskey. You know, so they're they're the main guys. Um, but it was done by the time the third try was scored. Oh, oh was, yes. we, We've had this conversation before about international matches, certainly. When you sort of go 20 points behind, no matter what kind of game it is, you're probably going to lose the game. Almost like, certainly. No, not, not probably. You're almost, you're like 99% to yeah. lose the game. No, there I think are, it's, I think it's, it's one, I remember when Ireland went behind to Argentina uh, and helpfully on the, the report following on the uh, World or Rugby World Cup website, they pointed out that of games where teams have gone 10 points down in the first half, only one in 20 have come back to win. And that's that's in, in world that's in rugby world cup history, and that's not in a ten point deficit. Yeah, point. but it was when Rob Hardy went in under the sticks, and it was just like I was like, well, the rest of this game, even though it blow it like, up, ref. No, Ulster had a wind in the second half to play with, but it was like I don't know. That's it, 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 you couldn't. I couldn't see any way back for them. No, nor me, because they missed tackles that they wouldn't normally miss. I couldn't get over. Well, I could get over it eventually. It was a long process. But Hendo missing that tackle on Ali Price for the second try, I think. Like, that was from Hendo. Yeah. The new is. the new Mr. Ulster, basically. Missing a tackle. Just making such a, a poor, tired attempt so early in the first half. Like it, that was the sort of attempt you make when you're already... 50-20 it it, it, it's, it's hard to know and maybe it'll come out over the summertime what sort of emotional preparation they had for it whether uh, Rory Best final game affected the team could be too much sometimes um, yeah it was it was it was very poor yeah it was very disappointing from Ulster um, I think they'll be very disappointed it's, it's very it's a bum note to go out on because what has been a from, really what's been a really good season, season it'll be I was going to say it'll be interesting who they recruit. I'm not sure what sort of scope the teams have to recruit. Well, they've but got Fadis. For, for Ulster, they, they'll bring through guys as well. That's, yeah. that's the other side of it. So sorry, go on. They've got Fadis in from um, formerly a New Zealand Sevens parent, a very good try score. They've got Sam Carter signed in the middle of the season, who's a big second row from uh, from the Brumbies, I think, actually. Um, they've, they're bringing in a new huge lump of a fella who's a South African, but Ulster qualified plays either side of the scrum. I can't remember his name. Only qualified for Ulster, not for Ireland. <laughs> well, no, his, his, I, think his, I think his grandfather was an Ulster player. I could be wrong on that, but he's a huge man. Now, prop. Huge prop, plays both sides. I think he's Worcester. So they've recruited, but they, were, they announced the, those things as they happened. So Fadis is the, the most recent one. Oh, uh, okay. But uh, they've got some good, they've got some good extra guys into the setup. Now, they lost... Herbs, too, wasn't really featuring for them anymore. Ross Kane, who I think has come of age to a degree. When I say come of age, I don't mean he's hit his absolute peak yet. But now he's played tight head since Marty Moore has been injured. And I felt that initially in the season, I just didn't think he was... I didn't think he was really at the, the pro game. Yeah, you know, you know I didn't out, think he was good get, enough. Not get level in the pro I didn't think game. he was good yeah. enough to be playing for Ulster. But I've, I've been impressed with him. Now, I don't think he has, like most props these days, he's not going to give you anything more than, you know, 50, 55 minutes. But 
I, I felt he ended the season really strongly. It's a real positive. For me. I remember seeing him bizarrely years ago playing uh, schoolboy rugby, uh, and he was very accomplished then. He was playing the other side. He was playing loose head back then, but uh, I expected more from them when I originally saw him because he's been in the Ulster squad for quite a long time now. Yeah, he's the same age as Alex Thompson. They were playing on the same team actually. All oh, right, okay. Um, but I, I feel that he's done he's done well in the last part of the season. Bill Johnson's coming through. Yeah. And who's that centre that got injured the, uh, last year's under 20? Angus Curtis. Sorry? Angus Curtis or James Hume? Hume. Hume. Well, and Curtis you, is very good as well. There's like, another so, fellow they've signed, Jack McGrath. He's pretty good. Jack McGrath is good. Yeah, so Ulster... Actually, I think their recruitment has, actually, has gone I, really, really well. well. <laughs> the, recruitment is, the recruitment has been very good. Um... Yeah, the, that, well, the recruitment and the ability to grow. Like, I mean, Curtis and Hume will, I think, have a real impact next season. Yeah. Um, now they, they've, they've lost Cave, but they get Marshall back. And then, but Kluski is so vital to them at the moment um, that it's very difficult to see Curtis getting that much game. Like the way that, because McCluskey doesn't play for Ireland that often, he's available for selection for a lot. And I really rely on him. And he's been huge. John O'Sullivan, the Irish Times, wrote an article just basically saying, pointing out the, the Pro 12 or Pro 14 statistical leaders. McCluskey's all over them. Yeah. You know, carries, defenders beaten, offloads. Really impressive. So maybe maybe the lesson to come out of this season for Ulster is either get a home, get a home semi. Capable of it. They looked, if when you consider that they're addressing particular points of need for them because Eric O'Sullivan's played so much rugby as a number one with nobody really to spell them. They don't have a good backup loose head, in my opinion. Mm. They're bringing in Jack McGrath. So now Eric O'Sullivan is going to be that good backup loose head. Um, I don't know I don't know anything about this this huge, uh, also qualified South African. I don't, except that he's huge. I've seen a photo of him. He's enormous. Um but Carter's a good position to bring in because they play Treadwell an awful lot. So now they Hendo's away. Like a, a lot of a lot they of the Ulster players are they're always playing for Ulster, which is yeah. one of the things about Curtis and Hume. Like Curtis and Hume aren't going to be picked for Ireland next season, which means that. But I think they're both guys who could play for Ireland mm. at some stage. Uh, in you know, like in the not too distant future. Then they also have a couple of other very interesting guys. Um, oh, this guy, the, this Sexton. guy. The four, 10. 10. 4, 10. Yeah. 10. 4, Flojo. 9. Yeah. <laughs> like he just set the Irish schools, <clears throat> Irish under 18s record for the men's 100 meters. 10.49. The flow, that's the women's still standing all time. Somewhat questionable. <laughs> um, world record. World record. 10.49. You've got. This is a guy who's played for Ulster A already. Like, what, what, school. A, what a schoolboy in Bangor. Like, this this isn't a guy who, oh, you know, maybe we can convert him as a project. Like, and this not, is a guy who's who's a rugby player. And he's not 5'10 and 11 stone. He's like 6'3 and 14 and a half stone. Um, this is a guy that do, there was a clip of him doing the rounds from the Ulster Senior Cup game, was there? There's a, been a few clips from yeah. for Ulster A and for Ulster Senior Cup. He is a... There was, there was actually a very almost useless... Um, video of, of the 100 meter final because it was taken from ground level from the finishing line looking back down but where it's useful as you see he finishes two meters ahead of his nearest uh, competitor and the guy is an absolute and this isn't the guy who's playing flyer. for the sevens no that's that was Robert Balakun. Uh, 
No, 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 no. Oh, this, Jordan. This is the guy from, this guy from the, uh, books. Jo- yeah, Jordan, Jordan Conway. Conway. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Conway. it's another yeah. fella. Okay. So he's come in. Like they have Jacob Stockdale, mm. who's just, just a brilliant, brilliant player. And they maybe might think of moving him to 15. To 15. Now, it's up for grabs there. They have two different options, completely different options. They have Michael Lowry, who's a 10 slash 15, or Stockdale, who's an 11 slash 15. So you have a second distributor jink machine or you have you know this hugely potent attacking weapon um just to put that into context carlin isles in high school 2007 100 meters 10.58 wow right and sebastian cara who played for Breeze yeah in in 1997 yeah 10.34 but like sebastian cara was the was fastest, the fastest man I've ever seen in rugby yeah. pitch. Like he was, he was like a hack in a computer game. He yeah. was unreal <laughs> quick. Yeah. And they had like Breve had a team that will never like we'll never see the likes of it again. Oh, never think, with an enormous Polish uh, Kakala, Gregory, <laughs> Gregory Kakala, like this this huge six foot five Polish back row who was absolutely brilliant. Like, he was like your man from the day of the jackal. <laughs> oh man, like, <laughs> uh, like you couldn't make it up. And occasionally these guys get come out of uh, European or Eastern European rugby. Like to, to this day, I, one of my favorite hookers ever, Marius Tinku. Tinku, yeah. And But Marius Tinku, who was, it was a bear of a man, was also like a wonderful guy. Yeah. But, uh, the Romanians also had a complete another asshole playing at scrum half uh, who didn't go to the World Cup in 2011. Me too. Yeah. But who played for Romania like for ne- over a decade. Yeah. And then like played for Montalban. So I think like where he played for Montalban against Munster in that season where Montalban came up and almost won in Thoman Park when like, you know, Munster were 30 point favorites. Me too was like, me too is the scrum half that if the Italians had him. And at some stage. Do you remember they used to import Stoica? Yeah, like at some stage the Italians will have a scrum half, as well. like like me too, mm. or even even something like me too, and there'd be a threat. Like the, the guy was just a marvelous footballer. Well, speaking of uh, cartoonish rugby players, I just want to give a shout out to Luke Fitzgerald for knowing the name of the little winger of the Codemasters team in John Lomi Rugby, who I compared Cheslin Colby to a few weeks ago when Leinster were playing against Toulouse. It's Mather. But also on that Codemasters team, they had a giant player as well who was the slowest and strongest player in the game. But, but not only... Not anyway, only Colby, is a, Colby is a cousin of Wade Van Niekerk, as far as I know, who is the Olympic 200-meter champion. Yeah. So I imagine he is one of the fastest players. I'm not sure what his, what his speed over 100 meters is, but he's definitely got some gears. Anyway, that fella... Luke Fitz knew it immediately well. It wasn't he, yeah. like he went off and thought about it. No, he knew it within knew it. <laughs> two or three minutes. Uh, so, so much respect for Lucas Charles after that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, it, 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 to to sum up talking about Ulster, very disappointing end to the season, but like so many green shoots basically is the, is in and in comparison to Munster, you sort of feel like Munster in this, maybe in the same place as they were last season. Ulster, you know, yeah, I guess you can ultimately look at it as in you lose, you lose. I think the only thing is having having put together a lot of momentum during the season to go into a big match where and just uh, like just play so poorly and Bestie going off and looking so disappointed. And I felt so sorry for Bestie that he didn't get a better send off on White. Um, 
you'd like, you know, if that's your situation, like you want your you want your team to to keep that momentum going, and very disappointing that they didn't. Someone needs to stop him. They don't build him like that anymore. He won't like that. He's one of a kind. If someone serves up a fifty burger in a semi final, uh, it does feel a little unfair to not focus on them. <clears throat> Glasgow are also the home team in the in the final, even though like because it's been pegged as being in Celtic Stadium for some reason that doesn't feel like it has any affiliation with mm. Glasgow rugby. I don't think they've ever played a game there, for example. Um, but they are going to be a serious opponent opponent for Leinster in this final. And it, I mean, to me, it seems like a bit of a toss-up. I'm not sure how the bookies see it, but the, it seems like a bit of a toss-up. I think the last time that rugby was played in... Um, Parkhead. Yeah, it was in the 19th century. Uh, I, I, I saw a photo there on Twitter of them putting up, and they said, These are, it was from Celtic. They said, these are the first different shaped posts we've put up since I think the some team called the Australian Rangers or something came back like shortly after sort of Celtic was set up maybe 1889 or Celtics yeah yeah so um it's going to be really interesting to see to see Ruby played there in the in the first instance but yeah it's a home game for Glasgow it's in Glasgow (laughs) which is good like the the Pro 14 final, I think, has worked out very well because Glasgow were in it. Like, it would be, say, Ulster, well, Ulster, it's not that far away in the ferry. Say, like, say Munster were playing Leinster. Say, Jesus, like, say Treviso were playing Leinster. Mm. Um, in, and you kind of go, oh, like, what's, the, what's the point? Um, but they've done it, like, it's, it's Well, particularly bold. after Leinster, a lot of Leinster fans would have travelled to Newcastle, Newcastle two weeks previous. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it was a bold move. It's a bold move to go there. Uh, I have to say, like I, I was, I wrote my sort of my notes watching the the Saracens Leinster match, and just said like conditions were excellent. Mm-hmm. Like St James's Park, the, the the standard of the pitch in Premiership football stadiums is un- otherworldly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Glasgow have been coached by Dave Rennie now for two seasons. Rennie is an excellent coach. Uh, there's a lot of good coaches in the Pro 14, but yeah. Rennie is is up there amongst them as he's got a, the he's, best. Yeah, uh, certainly, arguably the best. Um, back to back, back to back Super Rugby champions. Yeah, tuna for the first time. Could coach the All Blacks, but a guy yeah. who's who. So we're talking about Jerry Flannery moving about, not to keep on going back to this, but like you, as a coach, like as a genuine career, without kind of just going, oh, like you know, I'm going to play all my cards and I'm going to end up like with the best job in the world, and like you know, after that, I don't know what I'm going to do because where do I go? Yeah, like you look at Rennie and you go, seems to be a bloke who just really enjoys rugby and coaching rugby and getting the team to click. Like Glasgow scored so many tries. In so many different ways, running really good support lines, their ability to throw passes off both hands, like putting in chips, like having and like looking for the chip, look, looking to see, appreciating where the space is, having the ability to execute the skills. Um, They've got a couple of really, really good kickers in their team as well. When I mean kickers, I mean kicking from hand, Hastings and Hogg. Like Hogg, not only does he strike it beautifully and hits it a mile. He can kick all the sort of different types of kick. Like he's like a 
slightly not as good version of Juan Martin Hernandez in terms of how well he can kick the ball. Remember when Hernandez played in 2007, he kicked all the different types of kick, like goalie punts and, you know, obviously drop goals, mm. spirals, like AFL type end over ends, highest bombs ever in rugby. That's my memory of it anyway. Uh, and Hogg doesn't quite have that range that I'm comparing to the best kicks I've ever seen, but he can kick the ball in a load of different ways. And then Hastings seems to have... He has the same bravura attitude as, as Finn Russell. You know, I didn't think that Glasgow would be at all able to replace Finn Russell. Um, but they found a guy who's, you know, who's doing a really good, making a really good fist of it. I remember Dad, Des, uh, refereeing for a number of years. And so a few guys remember him coming back refereeing remember he came back refereeing like a, a floodlit match one uh, I just said like Brenny Mullen Brenny Mullen had retired from Ireland but was still playing and would, would, would come back to play for mm. Ireland he just goes jeez like he's, he's just miles better yeah than everybody else and then he he refereed Scott Connell in like a 20s or a 21s and he just goes like this bloke like yeah I think he's I don't know what age he is but he could play international rugby tomorrow mm. and probably the most impressed of any player was Gavin Hastings refereeing Gavin Hastings playing for Watsonians against someone and just went like he has so much more time than everyone else on the pitch and he's so much better whenever he does anything it's unreal I thought you were going to say Mark Ring do you remember when he came back to talk about Ringer <laughs> do you remember Ringer and he was always just there going like he just chats to me all through the game and like he kicks all these weird kicks like he just always go I'm going to do a banana ref <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the banana I'm going to do the banana uh, yeah, <laughs> so Gavin Hastings, so Adam Hastings, that that's his lineage. Mm. Um, his dad is Lions captain, Grand got, Slam winner, Grand, Grand, Grand Slam, Slam winner. winner. Has you know, has probably has the ability to play a bit. Yeah, um, and Gavin Hastings, I remember standing behind him in the queue to go to Parte France when Ireland uh, lost to Argentina. I stood directly behind him. Dude is huge. Mm. All those guys are huge. Yeah. Like he's a huge Peter dude. Peter Stringer is probably the only guy who you see who's actually smaller than you think he's gonna be. Mm. But he like, I haven't seen him for years. But like when you were playing against him, he's pretty huge now that he's just like hasn't drunk. He's, he's, and like, he's just he's, trained professionally yeah. for twenty years. Um but like they're all massive. All those guys who are pro rugby players and they sort of say like oh the players are much bigger now and you go like you know they're more beefed up than they yeah. are they're better conditioned but like they're always huge men anybody yeah. who's playing international rugby remember huge meeting man. Roger Gould in Cafe on Sen <laughs> 1999 so finally we're getting this anecdote on <laughs> when you're drinking with the gentleman of Aspen uh, that's correct <laughs> um, the dude was just huge he looked like a movie star as well like this massive like rangy Australian fullback, he's like six foot four, six foot five. Uh, that was that was a great night out, actually. Speaking of large men we've met in pubs, I once met Zinzan Brook upstairs in the Haypenny Bridge Inn, and I've never seen a larger head in my entire life. That Aside from being a large man, but just he was a huge dude. Oh, yeah, his head was like the size of a microwave oven. So, ding. So, <laughs> 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 so Hastings. Hey, hey uh, great lineage and uh, Rennie's enabled them. Rennie's yeah. got them playing really good rugby. You have to look at their Saracens results. They played Saracens three times in knockout matches. And First one was tight up in Glasgow. Yeah. 
Um, uh, and then the the semi final, Saracens or sorry, the quarter final, Saracens were amazing in that. Yeah, they were amazing. And that game started off with a great Glasgow try. Like they can score from anywhere. The other fellow who I'd like to give a special uh, praise to because I've always thought he's a super player, DTH Van der Mm. You know, back in Glasgow again, and he is just—he's such an accomplished winger. Like he plays wings so so well. Like in the way that Dougie Howlett was and Dennis Hickey were great wingers. Like I remember Dennis Hickey used to play fullback as well and wants to play fullback. So mate, you are the best winger, and you know you're like an iffy enough fullback. But as a winger, he was uh, like not quite non-parade, but savage. Like DTH Van der Merve is such a fucking weapon of a winger. He really is. Now the other winger is not bad either, Tommy Seymour. Although he looked, he, the game against Ulster, they, they did a close-up of him. It's like, geez, it looked like he hadn't slept in a week. <laughs> um, but they have this other lad who came in, and I was only reading up on him, staying there. The other centre has come in from South African sevens. As uh, he came in as cover for DTH on the Merva earlier in the season, and he's found a home. And he was very impressive against Ulster. So they're full. That Glasgow team, that backline is just full of weapons. Yeah, there's a lot of threats on the Glasgow team, and they're playing at home, and there's there's a lot of confidence. It's 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 another really good pro. 12 stroke port, pro 14 final. Really um, good final. Like it hasn't been a pretty, it, it's certainly not been the best edition of the league. I no, think the African teams in particular were I, very disappointing. The conference, I the think conference that, format is unsatisfying, in my opinion. It leads to too many dead rubbers. Um, the South African teams haven't added enough. And one of the conferences, though, was really tight. Like, not really tight. One of the conferences had Leinster and then Zebra at the other end, and like five teams who could have qualified for playoffs. Yeah, I still don't. I don't. I don't like it. Uh, I understand it's an it's necessary in order to ensure that the league has the fixtures that it needs to have. You know that you have home and away interprovincial derbies, etc. You play. Like it, it's it's it, it is what it has to be at the moment. Once they decided to let in the South African teams, do you think they need fourteen player? Do you think they need fourteen teams though? Like when they had twelve teams, it was a good league. I was in favour of the South African teams coming in because I think oh, it's good to try this, but I don't I don't think it's worked. Like the Kings are awful, the Cheetahs, you know they're too Cheetahs, far away. If the Cheetahs, if there were two teams of the Cheetahs standing, then I would say because I have, as I said before, I've. I, d- I don't like the idea of a Southern Hemisphere team in an otherwise European league for yeah. traveling to, reasons. To cut to we've just just to cut through some of the things that we said before. Do you think the problem is the bigger problem is the conference system or it's the South African teams? Because the conference a, system is a good way of getting fourteen teams into a tournament and effectively playing the same amount of games as you would have in a 12-team tournament. Yeah, I, that's a very good point. I, I th- think I think the I think the South African teams, I think the fact that the Kings are so bad is one. I think the fact that it's, I don't even know if it's the biggest competition those teams play in. Mm. Like obviously Europe is bigger for the The, the Kings have been bought by team. some. 
But do you know what I mean? Like you, you see their matches and there's, there's just no one at them, and you go, ah, like this is stupid. Like why don't you know? Why don't they find someone that can fill their ground, or even yeah. not even fill their ground? Like you know, they get quarter of their ground populated. So I, I just think they're disappointed. Like the Cheetahs were better the season before last, and as you say, if there was two teams like the Cheetahs, I think on the pro side, like on the plus side, the Cheetahs play a brand of rugby. The South African teams play a brand of rugby that. It's good for the Northern Hemisphere to I like be to, I like exposed to, to. I actually like to watch the Cheetahs. There's a variation to them yeah. in that, like... It's weird. They just kick the ball all the time, isn't it? They tackle really well. They yeah. kick a lot. Yeah. You know, but they play a different style of rugby, and you're sort of going... They oh, score you know, tries. Like, like, they, to, have, they have serious pace. You have to play like this, but then you go, no, you don't. Like You have to understand the game and realise that there's different ways. You know, there's yeah. more than one way to skin a cat. There's different ways to, to go about your business. To go back a little bit further before we start talking about the teams who are irrelevant Gosh, to this, this. final, um, we were you were saying it's another good Pro 14 final. And the funny thing is, the last two finals, they have been kind of good and satisfying in a way, but neither have been particularly close. Leinster absolutely hosed Scarlets last season, and the season before that, Scarlets absolutely hosed Munster. But they were satisfactory in a way because you knew the best team had put in a really big and impressive performance on the final day. Yeah, that's a good point. I go to before I'd say that Connacht winning was a was a great coronation of No, I I'd, I'd agree with that. Had they was, not winning and I think Glasgow playing superbly well against Munster was a you know, like you look at Munster champions of Europe and you look at Glasgow always the bridesmaids to, to, to sort of flip that in his head so it, it's had really good finals um, I, I'm sorry I didn't, I didn't mean to exclude that yeah, it yeah. was just I was just taking the yeah, last two no, I think I think it's a fair point because I, I felt that Leinster came back and made that Connacht final appear tight enough on the scoreboard but in reality Connacht were possessed it, well not just possessed but they I, I, I felt that that game was sewn up sewn up but Connacht hit the scale so early in their favour that Leinster were always fighting a losing battle in that one the Munster Munster have had two dreadful losses in, in finals Leinster Ulster when Ulster chose to play their uh, this was 2013 2013 when Ulster chose to play because Ravenhill was being developed, redeveloped. They chose to play their final in the RDS rather than Lansdowne Road. That was also at the best, in my opinion, even though even though they lost, I, th- I felt that was the best Ulster team with John Afoa, Pienaar, Johan Muller, um, like Jared Payne. Just a really, really good team. That was a tight final. And then be- the one before that was one of the tightest finds I've ever seen. Oh, when the Shane Williams scoring in the last minute. Yeah, yeah. and Dan Bigger knocking over the touchliner. Um, I, think, I, th- I think that yeah. this one is much, much more going to be like those two types of finals uh, than it is like the previous two, the 17-18 or 16-17. I think it's going to be tight. Glasgow, when they came over to Leinster, uh after the Six Nations, Leinster didn't feel their their best team at all, and Leinster had already qualified. But Glasgow set a new, you know, up to uh, tackle count. Is this the one with Johnny Gray? Getting Johnny Gray getting like forty eight tackles. Yeah, uh, literally forty, not like literally forty eight tackles in a game. 
So that's one thing. It's going to be very interesting to see how Leinster approach, um, how they attack against firstly what is essentially a brick wall around the side of the the breakdown. It wasn't just Johnny Gray putting in 48 tackles and like a couple of lads doing two. I think they had four of their pack were over 20 Barkley, tackles. Harley, yeah. There's, there's you know, so of... there is, there's essentially not running into the same brick wall as, sorry, it's like running into quicksand. You're not getting out of it. Mm. Um, they also have good, really good line speed, especially their hookers, a super player, McAnally, I think. Is it McAnally or is it? No, it's Fraser Brown. Uh, he's he's really quick off the mark in terms of closing down space as is Gibbons as is Sander Fagus not the biggest number eight but really Sander, sharp Sander's the oh, sorry prop, yeah it's, uh, it's uh, uh, his brother anyway yeah um, there's a funny it's, I think it's a funny quirk of this and correct me if I'm wrong Leinster only played Glasgow one time this season because they're one of the teams that rotates that you only play one time a mm. season in the opposite conference. And we played them with a weakened team because we'd already qualified in the second half of the season after the Six Nations. And as you said, you did, they didn't bring in, bring over their strongest team. Whereas, for example, Munster, we played three times with varying strengths of team, but like a lot of strong, a lot yeah, of internationals. Good and selections, all. yeah. And it's funny that now, I mean, I remember looking up the fixtures in last season, we only played Ospreys once last season because they're, they're one of the other... Conference A teams, but now we're playing in a final against a team that we've we actually don't we haven't really got a clear picture it's of really how, how, we point, played, yeah. how we played against, um, because they're the chief team in the other conference, but also they're one of the teams that we just don't play twice this year. Yeah, it's a good point. There isn't a huge amount of uh, like there's always tape to look out of other games, but for supporters, it's not like oh you don't watch other teams. As closely if you're not playing them. They used to be Glasgow used to be the team, but so they'd be on, you just switched off and go, Oh, Glasgow, like they're, they're, they're nonsense. Tragic. And they've gone about uh regenerating, like getting excitement. Edinburgh were the story of last season. And it's it's credit to the guys running Scottish rugby how what a good job they've done in terms of like getting in really good coaches in Cockerell and Rennie in particular and getting an identity for the teams. So whether they're able to convert, it'll be... I'm looking forward to I, that I think final. It'll be quite, I think lot. it'll be quite high scoring. So do I. Uh, those finals, finals the sometimes very surprise good you. And it's the end of this, like for, for all, for like there's so many internationals playing, there's no tour. Um, your next, you, you got warm-up matches, but you've, you've a sort of an odd summer of going into getting your strength and conditioning. So, mm. um, like, there's no lines, there's no summer tour. It's... There's no... Yeah, there's no other... Like, the World Cup is on the horizon, but that's the start of next season. Yeah. So, it's... Sometimes, the, like, the semifinals... Sorry, the finals are often an, yeah. an awful lot more open than the semifinals. And uh, the semifinals have tended to be pretty tight games and some of the finals as we recently mentioned been blowouts but they've also been very open yeah like I'd forgotten it until earlier today but the McNichol scored a hat-trick against Hester uh, oh yeah year. last year yeah. yeah yeah he did you know um, it was an open 
It was not games. Like it was the weather's really good. Generally, yeah. the pitches are really good, and the teams can both attack, which is and why they're in the final. And, and yeah. they seem to go out and like, let's go to win this. Not this is a final. Let's play the percentages. So it could be a cracker. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And uh, it's it's um, it's been the end. The other thing is, it's that's the reason that all these lads play the games in during the Six Nations. It's a big squad effort from both sides, and so there's a there's a lot riding on from even the lads that aren't playing, from lads who are leaving each each club, like Stuart Hogg is heading to Exeter, Sean O'Brien's heading to London Irish, Jack McGrath's heading to Ulster. Like there's going to be a lot there's going to be a lot on the on the table for those guys. Mm. I think you uh, moreover just underlines, um, despite the way that uh, we have criticisms of the tournament itself, tournament structure itself, and that others have, particularly like say for example, RTE seem to completely and continually underestimate the tournament. It's so hard to win because you have to be such a good team to win it, and like every team who's won it, like. The last ten years has been a really talented super team. He's had to perform extremely well to beat someone else very exactly. Well to win it. Yeah. You know, it's it comes down. Uh, there's only one team that can win a pot, so you have to be better than a lot. You have to be better, not than a lot. You have to be better than every other team to win it. So um, I think the two best teams are in the final, and it could be a cracker. Here's hoping it's another Lancer Trophy in May then. And Scotland's coming. That's how close they are. Now the Scots will want to make this count. Pick up there by Beatty. Caught by Redmond. Gives it on to Finlay Calder. Beatty once more. Deans. Deans thumping on. Great play by the Scottish forwards. Now it's Laidlaw. Rutherford. Rutherford held by Andrew that time. It's Laidlaw again. Out to Gavin Hastings. The chance for Matt Duncan. It's a 